Hello, and welcome to episode 60 of My Circus, My Monkeys. We just celebrated Labor Day. So hopefully all of you got a chance to have a nice long weekend, recuperate a little bit from the beginning of the year and the chaos that was August. And while we get that extra long weekend and maybe we went to the lake, maybe we just stayed at home, had the barbecue. Today, I want to talk about the history of Labor Day and suggest that we need to embrace the ideals of Labor Day all year long. So stay tuned. You're listening to My Circus, My Monkeys, the podcast for supervisors in education or any field that emphasizes growth and development. If you want to reign in the chaos and transform your team to better serve your students and clients, keep listening. This podcast explores essential information on supervision, employee engagement, and using a strengths-based framework to empower you and your team. We'll examine the latest research in psychology, neuroscience, education, and beyond to help you and your team get to the next level with your host, Ann Brackett, the Chief Engagement Officer of Strengths University. So let's talk about the history of Labor Day. It became an official national holiday in 1894, and the labor movement itself began in the late 1800s because of the Industrial Revolution. And if you'd all paid attention in history class, the Industrial Revolution is when we as a society moved from being largely agrarian to moving to cities, working in factories, creating things in mass. And that wasn't a bad thing necessarily, but the individuals who owned those factories really wanted to pay their employees the very least amount possible and get the most work out of them possible. So they would often have to work 12-hour days, seven days a week in order to keep their job. And back in the day, it wasn't unusual for children as young as five or six to be working in pretty terrible conditions. And aside from just long, grueling hours, these were unsafe factories. And so really the labor movement became about creating balance. As workers, we should have certain rights and we should basically get paid a fair wage for a fair day's work. And of course, companies didn't really like this because that meant cutting out of their profits. But the labor movement picked up momentum, and there were some pretty substantial legislation that helped curb some of these abuses. The National Labor Relations Act in 1935 gave laborers the right to unionize and to collectively bargain. The Fair Labor Standards Act in 1937 established a federal minimum wage and the eight-hour workday. So if you had to work over eight hours, you got overtime. The Civil Rights Act included Title VII, which prevented employers from discriminating against women and minorities. And then OSHA was established in 1970. And that's, of course, to make sure conditions are safe, physically safe, for employees. And these are just a very few highlights. The idea of Labor Day is to celebrate the labor of all those folks who actually make things happen. And 
we've been living with the pandemic for about a year and a half. And there's been a lot of praise and talk about essential workers and how they're heroes. But that hero attitude, that hero mentality is certainly not being played out. And especially now, you know, there's a lot of talk of, you know, we have so many job openings and not a lot of people want to take those jobs. So what's wrong? Let's cut off benefits, that sort of thing. And you'll see lots of articles about why people don't want to work. And there's one faction that says, oh, they're just lazy. They just would rather not work and get free money. But maybe it's that people were tired of working their little buns off for minimum wage. So maybe it's a good thing. We're reevaluating how much we pay folks. And, you know, the people who are paying above minimum wage, who are paying a decent salary, they're maybe not having trouble finding people. So that tells us something right there. But I want to apply this to us as supervisors in higher education, because, of course, that's what this podcast is about. And I think that it's really easy for us to kind of, well, just think about Labor Day as a three-day weekend, and good for those guys back in the day, but it doesn't really apply to us. I mean, we're not blue-collar workers for the most part. You know, most of the people who are listening to this podcast are salaried. You're not hourly workers. So what does this have to do with us, Anne? Well, I'm so glad you asked, because I want to go back to that idea of fair wages for a fair day's work, and that includes working conditions that are safe for us. And again, it's really, really easy to look back and say, oh, yeah, Industrial Revolution, definitely not cool, six-year-olds working in a factory where they could easily be maimed, they're working 12 hours a day for not very much money, thumbs down. But if we fast forward to now times, how many of us have a reasonable amount of work to do for what we're paid? You can raise your hands. You can. Okay, I can't. I can't actually see you raise your hand. But I'm guessing that at this point for most of us, the job we were hired to do originally and whatever amount of money we agreed upon to do that job, the amount of responsibility the size of your to-do list has grown exponentially, and your salary has not. And definitely a trend has been so-and-so leaves for whatever reason. Gosh, golly gee whiz, guys. Unfortunately, there's no room in the budget to hire someone to replace them. So we're going to go ahead and have you guys just do all that work. And maybe this has happened to you once, so you're just doing two people's work. Maybe it's happened a couple of times, and now you're doing several people's work. But again, for the same reason we can't hire someone, we also can't give you a raise, even a cost of living raise. So that's a bummer. And it is a bummer, but it's not just a bummer. It's not okay. And I think that, I think on some level we know that's not okay, but there's a lot of things that we've been taught along the way, or I should say the culture is one that... We accept these things to be true. And first of all, well, and, and I guess going along with that, I think most of us would, if we had to describe higher education, would say it's rather progressive. When we think of social justice, diversity issues, being on the cutting edge of some research, progressive, right? But when you look at how many institutions treat their employees, I would say that that's not accurate, And I will say, 
you know, if you've listened to other episodes, you're probably like, oh, I'm not really sure where she's going, but this is getting a little dark. And yeah, it is getting a little dark because in a lot of other episodes, I've suggested things like prioritizing, going through your to-do list and cutting stuff out, like just cutting it out and never doing it. I've suggested reevaluating some of your systems and eliminating them. I've brought up the 80-20 rule, the idea that 20% of your efforts gives you 80% of your results. So let's just do that 20% and get rid of the rest because we don't have unlimited budgets. We don't have unlimited resources. I've talked on many, many episodes about how important self-care is. And I'm guessing for many of you, you've probably put some effort into doing it, but it always comes back to this huge to-do list. And every time you get something accomplished, someone shows up at your door, probably your supervisor, saying, oh, good news, we have another project. So it's kind of this never-ending battle to get ahead or, or feel like, okay, I'm caught up. We're over the hump. Now I can focus on growing and developing my team, really focusing on students and doing what I love. But that time just never comes. And that's why if at the end of this episode, you're a little pissed off, I'm totally cool with that. Because we need something to motivate us to make these changes. And again, the culture that we live in suggests that we should just put up with it forever. And if you're liking the tone, or at least the information of this episode, again, like I've mentioned this book before, but Do Nothing by Celeste Headley, fantastic. And she goes into great detail about our work culture in the United States, the history, and how we've been a bit manipulated into doing more for less and thinking that that's okay. It is not. And again, just to clarify, the point of this entire episode is to maybe help you think a little bit more critically about what's being asked of you and whether or not it's okay. Because a lot of us are incredibly stressed out slash exhausted, possibly in burnout, don't necessarily have a lot left to give, but you don't really know what to do and you feel like you shouldn't get angry because I should just be grateful I have a job. Or I don't know if I can get it, you know, the, the kind of fear that if I say something, and I've definitely like talked to people, had conversations, been coaching people, and when they express their frustration that, well, they just keep giving me more work, when I suggest something like, okay, well, have you had a conversation with your supervisor to say, you know, something along the lines of like, not, hell no, I'm not going to do it, but even something more reasonable like, okay, you know, this definitely seems like a priority. Can we have a discussion about what is going to be taken off my plate to make sure I can get this done? And people have outright just said, you can't do that. I can't do that. Can't just say that. One of the reasons I started Strengths University is I've always believed in empowering people. And we often feel like we have no choice or or rather our choices are limited. We either do the thing the new thing that's being suggested, or we quit or get fired, right? Like those are the options. But there are a lot of other options that we in part can't see because we are so stressed. And when you think about historically, of course, yeah, I mean, we're not laborers. 
We're not out there in the hot sun, you know, for 12 hours a day. We're not working in grimy, disgusting factories where they lock all the entrances but one to make sure that we're not stealing. So if there's a fire, kind of screwed. We're not working in those conditions. But back in the day, they were really focused on wages and safety, physical safety. Because back in the late 1800s, early 1900s, if someone had brought up the idea of, hey, my emotional wellness is just really taking a beating working in this factory all day, like that would have been considered nonsense. Like that's not, you know, that wasn't a real thing for them. But if you look at the research today, the stress levels that we are under negatively impacts us physically as much, different ways, of course, but as much as that physical grueling labor. You know, maybe you don't lose a limb, but I've worked with many people who have developed autoimmune illnesses. And most of the chronic illnesses that we have today are from stress, straight up stress. And you may have a genetic predisposition for, you know, disease XYZ, but it's not the genes, but it is our environment that turns on those genes Those genes did not have to come on. The reason that they are on is because of all the stress that we are under. And, you know, it's also really easy to maybe you love your supervisor. You think that they're amazing and they're just doing the best that they can. And they're just being told by the people above them, hey, I need your folks to do this. And, they, you know, they kind of have the same, well, I guess I have to do this or I have to quit. And if I say no, I'll just get fired and I can't afford to do that. So I'm going to have to do this. We're not advocating for ourselves and we are not advocating for our teams enough because what is happening is not okay. And, you know, sure, it's a nonprofit. And so it's really, really easy to think about the children, easy to think about this is my vocation. I'm here to serve others. But there are people who are running that institution. And even though it's nonprofit, it is still a business. And if people are making poor decisions, And if people are choosing to use limited resources for things other than supporting the very people that need to make this happen, then that's not okay. And and honestly, there's been a dip in students. Like people just didn't have as many kids. And now, boom, here we are, fewer kids and everybody wants them. And, And by kids, I mean students. I probably should call them students. They're mature, young individuals on their way to becoming adults. And it's easy to think about them instead of ourselves. Because again, that's kind of what we're taught, right? Like we have to stay late because we're doing it for the students. We have to come in early. We have to take things home. We have to take on this new new project, this new initiative for the students. But most of the students that come to us, yes, of course, you know, we help them grow and develop. And, and it's not that we are unimportant. But they are going to be okay if we don't work late. They're going to be okay if we take the weekend off and like legit take the weekend off. Like, oh, it's a three-day weekend? No email. No catching up. Nothing. They're going to make it. So I was trying to think of an analogy to really kind of drive this home. Because I, I, you know, I know there are many well-intentioned administrators, presidents, you know, lots of people who want to are just doing their best. But unfortunately, a lot of times that best doesn't take into account taking care of their employees properly. And in part because they don't know that that's important, like they're looking at the bottom line 
But like I've said in other podcast episodes, if you look at the research, if you want higher engagement for your students, if you want higher enrollment numbers, then you need to treat your employees like you want them to treat students. That's a Franklin Covey quote. I don't know if I exactly nailed it. But often we are the least considered. I mean, when budgets start to get cut, we get raise freezes, hiring freezes, our development budget gone. You know, we are the first victims of any budget crutch. And in regards to there just being fewer students, and when you think about, okay, if you have less incoming students, that of course means less money. And that's very real. But at your house, if for some reason, well, say you don't get a raise for several years, and maybe your spouse doesn't get a raise for several years, but the cost of things keep going up, maybe one of you loses their job, maybe you just decide, you know, I've had enough and you quit, or maybe there was a layoff, when all of a sudden there's less revenue coming in, what are your options? It's to do with less, right? You can't go to the cable company and say, you know what? Unfortunately, my situation has changed. So I still want all the same services, but I'm only going to pay you half as much. That's not going to fly. You can't go to the electric company and say, look, I'm going to actually be using more electricity because I'm going to be home all day and it's hot. So I need to turn on my air conditioner. I'm going to be using my computer a lot to look for new jobs, but I'm not going to pay anymore. Like that's not a real thing, but we're considered this unlimited resource. If you suddenly found out like, okay, budgets decrease. Sure, sure. Okay, we have less money for copies. You know, step one, think about whether or not you really need to print this out. Okay, sure, fine. Step two, be sure you're printing on both sides of the paper. Cool, cool. Yes. Step three, which is what is really happening with us as individuals. Okay, if you need more copies, you're just going to have to print on it again. Those pages that you just printed, read them, fill them out, whatever you need to do put them back in the copier because we're reusing them. That's how bad it's gotten. We're going to have to reuse paper that we've already printed on. And of course, you're saying, well, that's absurd, Anne. Like, you can't reuse the paper you've already printed on. It would be really, really hard to read. It'd be really stressful. You'd like waste so much time just trying to decipher what's on the paper. Exactly. That's what's happening to us because there's so much to do and we're constantly stressed and we're constantly running, putting out fires, doing, doing, doing things, we are not being efficient. We're not being effective. We're just doing a bunch of stuff because it was done previously. And the people making these decisions are only looking at the bottom line. And they're not even looking at the impact these cuts are having on productivity. We talk a lot about productivity in this podcast because when you focus on strengths and talents, productivity increases. When you look at how your energy is being spent, you save your energy. You look at that 80-20 rule that I talked about earlier. You're really looking about where are you getting the most bang for your buck, doing those things, and the rest is just not worth doing. It's not helping us get to our goals and reach our objectives very much, not for the amount of effort that goes into it. And so on this week of Labor Day, I'd like you to think about some of the things we've been talking about this past year or so in the podcast. And I'd like you to think about how fair it is for you to continue to do more and more work without the support and resources you need to do it effectively. And that includes your salary. 
And when you've kind of absorbed that, and again, gotten a little bit angry about it, because I, I do think that anger is the correct feeling, because anger means a boundary has been violated. That's all it is. It's a little biofeedback mechanism saying, hey, that's not okay. And, you know, unfortunately, a lot of us are exhausted and like, oh, I'd really like to get angry right now, but I'm too tired. But even if you can't get angry, maybe you can muster up enough energy to start saying no or to start learning how to say no, to start going through that to-do list. And like I have in other episodes suggested, what can you get rid of? What is unnecessary? Or what is a reasonable amount of work for us to do, given how many people are now on this team and how much money we make? What is reasonable? Because we've gotten to the point where it's not reasonable anymore. And it's not okay. And so I want you to think about this in terms of your workload and, again, empower you. because. You know what? Hundreds of years ago, hundreds? Let's see. In the 1800s, when this was all starting, people felt the same way. Like, I just have to put up with this. I have to do it because if I don't, I'll get fired and, you know, my family will die in a horrible whatever. Because when we're in fight or flight, that's where our brain goes. But then they started realizing if we band together, they can't fire all of us, right? And in fact, in some places, there are unions on campus. And Again, going back to this idea about the progressive higher education field, there have been many situations where faculty members, student workers, grad students, now student athletes want to unionize and the university tries to squash them. Why? Because it would mean paying more money. And why is that not okay? Because the less money they pay us is not more in their pocket, but it's more for them because they want to pay as little as possible to get the most out of us. And the only way we're going to get what we deserve and what we're worth is by standing up for ourselves and standing up for our teams. You know, that's what the unions did. And of course, that probably seems like, oh my gosh, I don't even have that much energy. But you can, just in the comfort of your house, in your office, start thinking more critically about all these projects that keep coming your way and what's realistic to do versus just assuming you have to do them. Something you can do is sit down with your team and say, okay, what are our systems for getting things done? What's helping us get where we need to go? And what's getting in our way? Let's cut out what's getting in our way, replace it with something else, or maybe replace it with nothing. Let's fight back for our sanity and for our well-being because you have the power to do that. And again, it doesn't have to be an in-your-face situation like it was with people and the union, but it can be something that you work on day-to-day to slowly get us out of this mess. And of course, if some of you want to take this further, that's, you know, kudos to you, but I know most of us don't have that kind of energy. So I just want to, again, I was taking this opportunity to really kind of, for those of you who are hesitating with some of the energy-saving, time-saving, resource-saving suggestions I have made in the past. We're kind of hedging at that and just kind of like, no, I just have to keep grinding it out. It'll get better. I just wanted to say it can get better if you make it. If you empower yourself to realize they're not just two choices, do it or get fired. 
or look for a new job. And well, that's three choices, but you know, there are things you can do in between there to make it so that you are less stressed, your team is less stressed, and you're still getting done what needs to get done just without all the extra things that, again, that 80% of the things that we do that aren't really adding that much value overall. That's what I wanted to talk about. You guys work so hard and are worth more for the most part. Like, I don't know all of your salaries and that sort of thing and each one of your work ethic. But if you're listening to this, I can guarantee you're being underpaid. And so you need to start valuing yourself more. You need to start valuing your team more. And you need to advocate for all of you. Okay, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Until then, stay strong. Thanks for listening to My Circus, My Monkey. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as other episodes on our website, www.strengthsuniversity.org slash mycircus. If you found this podcast valuable, Please share it with your friends and colleagues so we can empower and support supervisors everywhere. Finally, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. As always, Alicia and I are here to support you as you reflect on where you are and where you want to go. One great way to invest in yourself and your team is to join us for the summer cohort of the Supervisor Strengths Institute. We are revamping the Institute this summer to make it even more manageable for your busy schedule. It is the same great content, but we've condensed it so you can work through each week's modules and start implementing change even faster. We know that life can too easily get in the way of you staying on track, so we've also added a bonus For everyone who completes all eight weeks of learning, you will get an additional 60 minutes of our time, and you can use that for more individual coaching, a short team session, or to receive a discount on a longer team workshop. Our Summer Institute starts on May 28th. Go ahead and register now. Check it off your list. We want you, your team, and your students to shine their brightest. And that starts with you. So join us for the Summer Institute using the link in the show notes. Or if you have questions about the Institute or other services, contact us at Anne, and that's A-N-N-E, at strengthsuniversity.org. Thanks for listening to My Circus, My Monkey. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as other episodes on our website www.strengthsuniversity.org slash mycircus. If you found this podcast valuable, please share it with your friends and colleagues so we can empower and support supervisors everywhere. Finally, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode.